Our text tonight is 1 Peter chapter 1, and I think it's especially appropriate. You know, I didn't select this passage in light of anything going on in the congregation. Now I'm just continuing where I left off. But in God's providence, we have a message from the Apostle Peter on living hope in the midst of suffering and the promised subsequent glories of Christ. So if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 3 through 12. But before we attempt to read and preach and listen to God's word, would you go with me to the Lord in prayer and ask him for help? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great promises that we have in them. We thank you for the living hope freely offered in the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see amazing things in your word. We ask that even as we're about to be fed with an amazing feast, that you would, as the bread of heaven, let us feast on your word. Fill us until we can't eat anymore. Father, we pray that these words would not just give us knowledge that would puff up, but that they would fill us with love, that they would affect our hearts to enjoy you more, that we would live a life of hope and longing to see our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12. Listen to God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. All flesh is grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. The prophets of old, and even the elect angels, as we heard about this morning, the elect angels, uh, they've long wondered about, they've longed to look into what Peter is talking about here. Did you notice how he, how he ended the passage? He tells us just how 
bizarre, how unique, how amazing and incredible this truth is. He says, now here's something the angels wish they could see. And they have actually seen it with their eyes. But what he's saying is, they want to get a taste of it. They want to experience this personally. And so he's saying, there's something here for us that we can get a taste of, that we can experience in a personal way. So what is it that the angels long to look into? Well, the answer is in verses 3 through 9, the first half of this passage, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But it's the living hope. It's the living hope for those of us who are born again by faith. But he concludes talking about this living hope by revealing two aspects or, or two sources for this living hope. He sums up the living hope by pointing to, in verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Suffering and glory. But first, what is the living hope? Today, we use the word hope in a lot of different ways. Um, I told uh, Andrew the other day that I hope his basketball teams wins the championship. Now, he may have been 100% confident, if I know him well, uh, that they were going to win. But what I was actually saying, I can't predict the future. What I was saying is I'm expressing a desire. I'm expressing a possibility when I use the word hope. That's how we use the word hope today. It's, It's interesting, though. The Bible uses words the way the Bible means to use them. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses words the way he means to. And the way that we see the word used, uh, the word hope used in the Bible is a little bit different than the way we use it today. I think it's a little bit more like, and I don't know very many Spanish words, but one of my favorite is esperando. How do you say, I'm, I'm hoping? Estoy esperando. But how do you say, I'm waiting it's the same. It's the way Esperando. This word is so beautiful, and the idea is that hope and, and waiting, this looking forward to, this eager expectation, this certain outcome looking forward to, is intertwined. Uh, one pastor put it this way, hope is not some vague emotion that comes out of nowhere. Hope is the confidence That the future promised to us by the word of the Spirit is going to really come true. Hope is not some vague emotion that comes out of nowhere. Hope is the confidence that the future promised to us by the word of the Spirit really is going to come true. There's nothing more certain than the promises that we have from God in his word. There's things that we think are silly to doubt. We don't ever doubt whether the sun will rise tomorrow, but that's actually much less certain than what we have here in Scripture. There's so many things we don't doubt. But God's Word, His promises, this living hope that we get to have, is so much more certain than anything this life can offer. So Peter talks about this hope. He characterizes this hope in two ways. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Let's look at the suffering. We see this especially in verses 6 to 9. He says, we have to look at the suffering of Christ, but he also says we get to share in the suffering of Christ. We, he shares his suffering with us. We get to share in his suffering and we get to share in his glory. Now that sounds like an odd thing to say. We get to share in his suffering, but that's what he's telling us. And he tells us some things about the suffering that he shares with us. Verse 6, 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. This is the first thing he tells us about the suffering, that it's for a little while. And I think the, the younger we are, the harder this is, the harder these words are to believe. Right? You know, kids, you, you eat your food that your parents tell you you need to eat. They say you need to eat your vegetables, you know, so you can grow up big and strong, and you wait a whole ten minutes. You go and check your height, and you don't see any difference. What's going on? You wait the next day. You eat even more vegetables. You eat all your meat. You, you clean your plate. You don't see anything yet. We have to trust that what our parents are telling us. We have to trust that what God is telling us really is true. The oldest and wisest among us realize that decades go by like that. Forty years is like the blink of an eye. It's amazing. But God's word promises us this various trials that we undergo. They're just momentary. They're light. They pass by in an instant. And that's why I think what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not even a comparison. What's infinity minus 37? Well, it's a nonsensical question. You can't take a couple off of infinity. If we were to compare my height to the height of, a, of an ant, it would be silly to do, but we could do it. We could stand back to back and you could measure us. <laughs> and you could find out that I am, in fact, a little bit taller than an ant. But to compare the entire span of our lives, call it 120 years if you want, that's nothing. It's not even worth comparing to eternity. It's just for a little while. He then goes on to say, if necessary. Now, don't be thrown, away, don't be thrown off by the word if. He, he's not doubting the necessity of it. He's just saying, even if it's necessary, even though it's necessary, it's not something we have to worry about. Because again, it's momentary. It's for a little while. He goes on to characterize the suffering further. You have been grieved by various trials. We don't just face one trial. We don't just face one difficulty. We don't even just face one difficulty each day. We're faced with various, sundry, abundance, a cornucopia of trials, it seems. Every single day we face many different trials. But it's, it's comforting and it's encouraging to know that the Lord says, I understand that you are going through entirely, entirely difficult trials, and many of them. But they're trials, and they're just that. Trials are tests. He goes on to say, You have been grieved by various trials, then verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. He he describes these as a test. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what are we praying about? We're asking that the Lord would lead us into situations where we have opportunities to obey him. The Lord gives us tests so that we can have an opportunity to obey him. Now, Satan would want these to be opportunities for us to fall. But he's giving us opportunities. Now, when a teacher gives a test, what's the intention? Well, the teacher is usually, primarily, seeking information. Has the student read the material? Have they listened? Have they been sleeping in class? Have they retained the material? I need to know, so I will give them a test. So is that what God is doing when he gives us tests? Is that why God tested Abraham? 
When God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, his beloved son, the son that he had waited for, this was the son of promise, Isaac. When he was about 100 years old, he finally had his only child. And the Lord says, now I want you to sacrifice him to me. Why did the Lord do that? Did he know whether or not Abraham would be willing to make that sacrifice? Of course. The foreknowledge of God extends to the entire universe. He knows all things in advance. So why would he give a test? It's not for the Lord. It was for Abraham. It was giving Abraham an opportunity to be blessed. Which is why Paul says in Romans 4.20, For he did not waver in unbelief, but was empowered to faith, being fully assured that what God promised, he was able also to perform. It was an opportunity for him to be empowered in his faith. And that's what tests are. They're opportunities for us to grow in our faith, to grow in the blessed assurance of the faith that we have. What else does he say about these sufferings? Well, down in verse 8, he acknowledges, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. The fact that you can't see Jesus is a trial. Don't feel guilty about longing and wishing you could see Jesus face to face. You know, I've often thought about how amazing it would be if I could just put my fingers in the holes of Jesus' hands like Thomas did. To stick my hand in his side. But here we're reminded that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is an opportunity for more faith because we haven't seen. In fact, that's the essence of faith, isn't it? That's what the author of Hebrews says in the very beginning of Romans, I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 11, where we have that great hall of faith. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So the fact that we can't see Jesus, it's difficult. We, we can't see him face to face like the apostles did, at least not yet. But this is an opportunity for the Lord to bless us with even more faith. He goes on to give this, uh, this beautiful analogy of the gold being tested by fire. Do you see this uh, in verse 7? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes, though it is tested by fire. And we know the analogy, right? You set the fire to the gold, and as it begins to to melt, the impurities rise to the top, and the smith can then skim off the top, the impurities, making the gold so much more precious and more valuable, more beautiful, more costly. But think about the process. It's a painful process if the gold could feel anything. It's being tested. Peter says it's perishing. The testing of our faith is not easy. It's difficult. But Jesus understands. He understood so much more than we even understand our sufferings. His suffering was so much greater than our sufferings. But speaking of the gold, Peter tells us here of the glory, the subsequent glories of Christ. And he speaks here of an inheritance. Look at verses 3 and 4 towards the end of 3. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope, and it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but it's to an inheritance. He speaks here of a glorious inheritance. He tells us a few things about this inheritance. He says it's 
imperishable in the middle of verse 4. Undefiled and unfading. What's he mean by this? Well, on earth, if we receive an inheritance, there's a lot of things that can happen to it. Someone can take it by deceit. Someone can rob it, perhaps. It may depreciate in value over time. You may use it up if you live long enough. All these things are not options for the inheritance that's coming to us who have faith in Jesus Christ. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It won't ever depreciate in value. We won't ever get tired of it. It will not lose its luster, even though we will have it for eternity. He then goes on to say that it's kept in heaven. It's kept in heaven for you. My wife said something very profound as we were packing up. We're we're getting ready to move. We're very excited about it. And she's packing up, and she said, you know, it's a real blessing. We don't have to pack for heaven. And that was really profound to me. I've never thought about that. You know, we complain, well, you can't take it with you. What a blessing it is that we can't take it with us. Anything that we would want to take on this earth, A, would be perishable. It would be able to be defiled. It would most certainly fade. And it would be a hassle to pack. But the glorious inheritance that we have in heaven, you can't take it with you, but it's there waiting for you. If you have faith in Christ. So what is this inheritance? We speak of, we look to John. Uh, Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. We, we talk about mansions. You know, maybe if we do more good deeds, we'll have more square footage in our mansion when we get to heaven. We'll have more jewels in our crown. And, of course, it is uh, appropriate to, to realize that the works that we do on this earth will, of course, never merit salvation for us. Only the works of Christ will merit salvation. But he will test our works. Are are we building with twigs? Are we building with stubble and straw and hay? Are we building with gold that when it's put to the test, when it's put on fire, when the Lord evaluates our works that, of course, are prepared for us in advance and we are doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, but works nonetheless, when they're put to the test, will they be shown to be refined in the testing. So is it mansions? Is it crowns? Is it eternal material blessings that he's speaking of here? No. That's, of course, part of the blessing of heaven, the part of living in the new heavens and the new earth. But what is the inheritance he's really talking about here? Look back at the context. Let's look at verse 3 again. The context of this inheritance is, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus has been raised. He is alive. He has ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Where is he sitting? He's sitting on the throne. He's ruling and reigning, and he is in heaven. This is the context of the inheritance that he's talking about. Look at the end of verse 5. Ready to be revealed in the last time. And where is the result of this praise and glory and honor? The end of verse 7, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ that our inheritance is. And that's why Peter can promise us that our inheritance 
is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And though you have not seen your inheritance, you love him. And though you do not now behold face to face your inheritance, you have faith in him. Jesus Christ will be unveiled before our very eyes. Is that exciting? Do you long to see Jesus? Is it scary to think about when God will say, Time, put down your pencils. When it's all over, when all the testing is done, will it be an exciting moment or will it be terrifying? The Apostle Paul sums it up well. And he says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Every single one of us, one day, will be face to face with Jesus. And if you look to Christ, then you can say along with the ancient Irish poem that was written closer to the time of Christ than it was our own time. If, if Christ is your vision, then we can say, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. Look to Christ by faith and repentance and live a life of living hope this week. Father in heaven, thank you for the glorious news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though we undergo sufferings in this short time, this little while that you've placed us in, you're giving us opportunities to obey you, you're giving us opportunities to be blessed and to increase in our faith, and Lord, we ask that you would help us to make you our vision, help us to look to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And let us long for our inheritance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.